Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the 21st chapter of Acts. While we were staying there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us and took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands with it, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we remained silent except to say, The Lord's will be done. After these days, we got ready and started to go up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came along and brought us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were ready to stay. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers welcomed us warmly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Concluding our series entitled Called. Now this series is based on on this premise, a very simple premise. It's simply this. All of us, all of us, all of us are called by God. The one who formed us has given each one of us a purpose in this world. It's true for every single one of us. And our, our conversation partner throughout this series entitled Called has been the Apostle Paul. We explored Paul's call story on the road to Damascus. We journeyed with him on his first, second, and third missionary journeys. And today, we will journey with him on his final journey, a journey to Rome, and ultimately to Paul's death and great reward. In the year 57 AD, as our scripture alluded to this morning, Paul went to the town of Jerusalem, where he went to the temple to worship. Now, those of you who have been along this ride with me will not be surprised to find out this next piece. While Paul was worshiping in the temple, a riot broke out. It happened to him quite a bit. And he, he got arrested because the riot broke out while he was there worshiping. And, and he was taken to the town of Caesarea. Now, if you will look on uh, the screen or on the back of your bulletin, you're going to find a map. And you'll see there on the bottom right portion that there is the city of Jerusalem. Paul was taken northwest to the city of Caesarea. My wife Andy and I have been there uh, on our trip to Israel. It is a fascinating place to see because Paul was held in prison there for two years on that eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, awaiting his transfer to Rome. And while Paul was there in Caesarea, he had the opportunity to share the gospel with two Roman governors and a king by the name of King Agrippa II. And here's what's important about King Agrippa II. King Agrippa II was the last king of Israel. And the book of Acts records the conversation that took place between Paul and King Agrippa. And after Paul shares the gospel with King Agrippa, what King Agrippa II, the last king of Israel, says of Paul, he says, I find no fault in this man, no reason that he should be imprisoned. Now, we could talk about this exchange in terms of allowing the the old to give way to the new. Or we could talk about how our Jewish roots inform our Christian lives. But that's not today's sermon. So for today, suffice it to say this. When the last king of Israel encountered the first great apostle, 
he found no fault in Paul. Paul remains in Caesarea for two years. And then he boards a ship bound for Rome where ultimately he will stand trial before the emperor of Rome himself. Paul's journey across the eastern Mediterranean should have taken him about a month. It should take you about a month if your ship doesn't sink. Paul's did. If you look just below the boot of Italy there, you see the island of uh, Malta. It's just a little speck on the bottom left-hand corner of, of your map. Paul's boat ran aground on a sandbar just off the island of Malta. Now, Paul knew this was going to happen. God showed him in a vision, and Paul prophesied about it. And what Paul said was, not only is the ship going to run aground and be destroyed, but all 276 voyagers will be saved. And that's exactly what happened. The ship ran aground on a sandbar, and the waves beat it to oblivion. But miraculously, all 276 people make it onto Malta's shores. That afternoon, as they are establishing a camp, Paul is sent out with a delegation of people to collect firewood. And while he's collecting firewood, he is bitten by what the Bible calls a viper. So let's just recap for a second. Paul has been called by God. He's answered his call. He's gone on three missionary journeys. Now he's been arrested, tossed into prison. His ship sank and he just got bitten by a snake. How do you think Paul would have felt in this moment? You know what he did? He took the opportunity to preach the gospel. It's amazing to me what Paul would do. Paul Paul took advantage of the fact that he was in prison to proclaim the gospel to the prisoners. He took advantage of the fact that people had been in a shipwreck to give glory to God that not one of them had passed away. He gave glory to God about the fact that though bitten by a snake, he never even ran a fever. Paul, we'll come back to this in a minute, but Paul never, he never, he never missed a chance to answer the call of God on his life, ever. Eventually, they ditch the island of Malta and head uh, north. They land at the western on the western side of Italy in a town called Putoli around the year 60 A.D. About 120 miles outside of Rome, it would take them about six days to walk from Putoli to Rome. But when they get about 40 miles outside of Rome, they come across this city called the Forum of Appius. And while they're there, Paul meets these people who are Christians. And and the interesting piece is they had become Christians because they'd been evangelized to by the missionaries that Paul had sent forth when he was in Ephesus. They were Paul's spiritual grandkids. And Paul told them his story, that he was going to Rome to stand trial for his faith. And they said to him, well, we're not going to let you go alone. So this group of people started journeying with him. Then, 10 miles closer, 30 miles outside of Rome, they come to this little town called the Three Taverns. Find more Christians established by, the evangelized to by the, the missionaries that Paul had sent while he was in Ephesus. Again, more spiritual grandchildren. They agree, no, you're not going to face this alone. So I just want you to think about this from the perspective of a guy named Julius. Julius was Paul's jailer. He was the poor schmuck that had to take the Apostle Paul from... Caesarea all the way to Rome. And Paul didn't have a lot of good luck on his journeys, right? That's why I call him a poor schmuck, right? So Julius takes Paul, and I want you to think about what it must have felt like as they were walking towards the gates of Rome, because it wasn't just the prisoner and the prison guard. It was the prisoner, the prison guard, and a host of witnesses. And here's the point. The salient point that I hope we take from it. 
When we answer the call of God in our lives, because all of us are called, and when we answer the call of God in our lives, there are going to be some paths God tells us to walk down that we don't really want to walk down. There are going to be some gates we don't really want to walk through. And I don't know what kind of gates God's going to call you to walk through. Maybe God will call you to pass through the gates of Rome. Paul didn't want to go through the gates of Rome. It was one of the most Christian-hating cities in the world. Maybe God will call you to walk through the gates of Rome. Maybe God will call us to storm the gates of hell. Here's what I know. We won't do it alone. When Paul walked through those gates, he was not alone. He was surrounded then by a great cloud of witnesses. And the living God who has called you to change this world has not called you to do it alone. God has given you the gift of the people who are sitting right next to you. We will change the world. We will change the world. And along the way, life will be easy and we'll celebrate together and life will be hard and we'll hold each other's hands. We have been called, but we have not been called alone. God has called us together to make our journey in life. So Paul eventually gets to Rome where he will be held in uh, captivity for about seven years in Rome. For the first several years, Paul is held in in a kind of a, a home prison, right? And 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 then in the year 64 A.D. in mid July of 64 A.D., tragedy strikes in Rome. There is the great fire of Rome in the year 64 A.D. Now, most historians believe that the Emperor Nero had this fire set himself. This fire that that cost hundreds of thousands of people their homes, left them homeless, and and many of them starving because it not only consumed their homes, the fire, but it also consumed their resources. It's believed that the Emperor Nero set this fire because he wanted history to remember him as the great architect. And in order to build more things inside the gates of Rome, he had to burn down what was already there. He was a tyrant of a man. He sets this fire. And the Roman historian Tacitus tells us that Nero couldn't sustain, he couldn't stand the heat in the proverbial political kitchen he had established for himself. So he had to start shifting the blame of who set the fire. And guess who he shifted it to? Christians. Tacitus, the Roman historian, says that Nero himself blamed Christians for setting the fire in Rome, which began the first great persecution of the Christian church. Paul was already in custody. Soon the apostle Peter would also be in custody. And in time, all but one of the first generation of apostles would be martyred for their faith. Paul is held uh, under house arrest for about four years, four to five years, and then he is taken to a place called Mamertine Prison. And if you look at the screen, you'll see a picture of Mamertine Prison. This is the Mamertine Prison. This is the cell in Mamertine Prison where Paul was actually housed. And what's interesting is it's not just Paul who was housed in this cell. Also, later, the Apostle Peter would be housed in this same cell. And two very important things happen while Paul is in Mamertine Prison. First, Paul begins to evangelize. Not only to his fellow prisoners, but to the prison guards alike. Paul Paul holds a number of baptisms in his cell, in this cell right here in Mamertine Prison. My brothers and sisters, we put all Paul's life together. We learn a lesson from him. Whether we've been arrested or shipwrecked or bitten by by a viper, whether we've been stoned to the point that we can barely walk, but we get up and go back in the city, no matter what happens to us, at least the thing we learn from Paul is Paul wasn't going to allow any circumstance to keep him from answering his call. 
I think one of the great differences between Paul and many modern Christians is this, myself included. We're delighted to share our faith if the perfect opportunity presents itself. Right? It can't be at work, because that would be inappropriate. can't be at school, because that would be kind of weird. Got to have a healthy relationship with the person, and the organic has to come up, the idea has to come up organically. But if all the situation is perfect, then I can imagine myself sharing the faith, right? That's not the way Paul did it. It didn't matter if Paul was in prison, or if he'd been bitten by a viper. It didn't matter if his ship was wrecked. It didn't matter what situation Paul found himself in, high or low. Paul was going to take every opportunity to share the gospel, every opportunity to answer his call. Because he was convinced that what he was doing, the work God called him to do, was a work that needed done. And so at every single opportunity, Paul chose to answer his call. The book of Acts does not record Paul's final days, but a second thing happens while he is there in Mamertime prison. Paul also writes his final letter from this place. A letter we still have today in the form of the book 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul says these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which our God, the righteous judge, has prepared not only for me, but for all who endure. Paul knew what was coming. The book of Acts doesn't tell us about Paul's death, but we can piece together extra-biblical accounts to tell us what happened. Somewhere around about the year 67 AD, the Apostle Paul was called from his cell in Mamertine prison, and he was granted an audience with the Emperor Nero. A man that Paul knew hated Christians. A man Paul knew had Paul's own fate in his hand. How would Paul conduct himself, I wonder? Would Paul cower before the great man? No, of course not. The greatest apostle took the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the most powerful man on the planet. Those extra-biblical accounts tell us that after Paul had shared the gospel with Nero, he was taken from the emperor's presence, where he was immediately beheaded. Paul's story, though, is not ultimately summarized in the way he died. Paul's story is summarized in the way he lived. The Apostle Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ for 30 years. He followed Jesus for 30 years and the world would never be the same because he was called. He was gifted. He was empowered to change the world. And so are you. This entire series, this called series, it hasn't, hasn't really been about Paul. It's been about us. About the fact that all of us are called by God to do something that makes a difference in this world. Five weeks ago, we talked about the fact that not only are we called, but we talked about something called the call equation. That's what I refer to it as. The call equation says this. It says, if I can find the place where my gifts, the things I'm good at, and my passion, the things I love to do, 
If I can find the nexus between my gifts and my passion somewhere in that area, I'm very likely to find God's call on my life. And so, in our first installment of this series, we had the opportunity to reflect on what our gifts are. We took a spiritual gifts inventory. People had a chance to figure out what their gifts were. It was, it was, I hope you thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. And then two weeks ago, we handed out this calling catalog. So knowing what our gifts were, then we presented a series of all the volunteer opportunities here at Ebenezer Church, all those amazing ministries that change the world every day, to see if maybe there's something in here that would spark our passion so we could find the place where our passion and our talent comes together. Well, today we conclude the series with an opportunity for everyone to answer the call of God on their lives. As you came into worship today, you were handed one of these blue sheets. If you weren't handed one of these blue sheets, would you please raise your hand? And we've got some ushers that are going to get some to you. We've got a few around here, folks. So thank you. keep your hands up. They will bring one to you. So uh, let me just walk you through this sheet for a second. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to start filling out this sheet and uh, ask you for your, your contact information here. And then what you find below here are are all of the opportunities reflected in the catalog that we talked to you about. And if, if you'd like to look for more information, there should be a catalog on the pew back in front of you. If you're joining us online, the catalog is available uh, online for you as well. Uh, so what I'm going to ask you to, to do is to think about all the opportunities here to, to volunteer to serve and, and then to maybe circle something that you might be interested in in doing. Now, maybe some of you some of you are already doing great things here. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. Some of you know that your gift is is teaching, and so you're working in our children or our access or our TNT ministry. God bless you guys for changing the world. If you're doing what you want to be doing, circle that thing. Praise the Lord. Some of you may feel called to the holy work of our parking lot ministry, and you said, wait, wait, did you just say the holy work of our parking lot ministry? Yes, I did. And here's why. Because you never get a second chance to do what? Make a first impression. The people on our parking lot team are the first impression of Ebenezer Church. They are. They're the ones that help us get in and get out of our cars and and get to the door that we need to get to. It is holy work. Uh, Listen, look. Look at the sheet. Would you look under the place where it says service at 2B? Some of you can answer the call of God on your life by going shopping. (laughs) What? There's a place for everyone in Christ's kingdom, church where my passions and my talents come together. So in just a moment, I'm going to get quiet. I promise I have that tool in my belt. I'm going to get quiet and give you a chance to, to think about this and prayerfully fill it out, and, and we'll invite you to do something with it after, afterwards. But before we do, I do want to share with you that there are, there are some nuances to all of our callings, things that make your call unique, just like my call is unique to me. However... There are also some elements to our call that are universally applied. We talked about one of these a few weeks ago. All of us are called to be prepared to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean that I need a degree in theology. It means I need to be be prepared to give a reason for my faith, to tell my story about how Jesus Christ has impacted and transformed my life. All of us are called to do that. Something else all of us are called to do is to give, to share our financial resources with the church. Uh, now, before you think I'm about to sell you some snake oil, hear me out here, okay? Uh, there is an Old Testament and a New Testament paradigm called tithing. The idea is that we give 10% of our income 
to the work of, of the local church. It, and it reminds me of, of a story. Now, this story was told to me by Mark Miller, so if you've heard it before, just act impressed, okay? Uh, but the story goes like this. Uh, one of our colleagues here in the Virginia Conference had about a four-year-old son, and this dad, uh, pastor, took his son to Burger King one day for lunch. Now, many of you have been through the routine. There's a particular protocol when you take a child to a restaurant like this. You go up, you get them whatever kid's meal that particular restaurant has, you bring it back to the table, you unwrap the wax paper wrapping around the cheeseburger, right? And then you pour out the french fries on top of that same wrapping and squirt some ketchup on top of it. Many of you are familiar with this process, yes? You've been through this process before. So the dad is going through the process, uh, getting the kid ready to eat his cheeseburger meal, whatever, And in the midst of all this, dad takes one of the french fries, dips it in ketchup, pops it in his mouth, and the little boy loses his mind. You ate one of my french fries! The dad was stunned by this. And eventually when the dad recovered, he looked at the boy and he said, Son, don't you understand? Every french fry you have ever eaten came from me. He said, and that's not all. It's not just about the things I've given you in the past. If you knew the kind of resources I have, I could quite literally, I could walk up to the counter right now and I could order enough French fries to bury you in French fries. It's not just all the stuff I've given you in the past, but all the stuff I will give you in the future. And then when I ask for my little piece back, you squall. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit kind of erupted in the pastor's heart and said, hey, how's your tithing going? This is my very brief theology of giving. Everything I have that's worth having came from God. Every dollar in my bank account, the desire and the drive to show up here every day and do the good work of this church. Most importantly, the relationships that make our lives worth living. All of our gifts come from God. And God's requirement of us, if we wish to be faithful, is to turn around and return 10% of that back to the local ministries of what God is doing here in the world. And so there is a checkbox at the bottom of this piece of paper that says, recognize that all my gifts have come from God. I covenant that I'm going to begin tithing in line with the biblical mandate. Let me just say one more thing about this, then I'll move on. There are some of you who, if you started tithing today, you'd go bankrupt tomorrow. Don't do that. It is not God's will. My point in telling you this is there are some people in this room who do not have the capacity at this moment to tithe and they're going to have to work their way to it. That's fine. That's great. Take your step. If you're at 1%, give 2. 2%, give 4. I invite you to consider what it would look like to inhabit this kind of faithful response with our gifts because we are all called to be faithful in this regard. So, all of us are called. And I, I want to invite you to, to engage in, in circling the things you want to circle and checking the boxes you want to check. And, and here's the last thing I, I really want to say about this before I close up. There is a fallacy that happens in a church our size. How many of you have ever been part of a little bitty church? Would you raise your hand? I mean an itty bitty church, just itty bitty. I have been too. I grew up in a church like that. And if Miss Maisie didn't show up on Sunday morning, there was no Sunday school. Right? Right? In a little church, you know that you've got to help carry the load or the work will not get done. And sometimes at a church the size of Ebenezer, people can convince themselves that Ebenezer Church doesn't need them. That is a lie. 
It's, it's balderdash. It's hogwash. My brothers and sisters, God needs all of us, all hands on deck for us to move towards bringing light to darkness and hope to despair. God needs all of us to answer our call. All of us, church. And so I challenge you today to heed the voice of your master. God who calls us not simply out of darkness into light. God who gives us life and a reason to live it. God has called you. And I challenge you today challenge you today to answer God's call on your life somehow. So we're going to get quiet. I'm going to invite you to fill out the top portions, got your contact information. It's going to, uh, to fill out the, the parts, parts below what you may be interested in serving with. Uh, in just a moment, ushers are going to release us row by row to come forward and, and to drop off these responses at the foot of the cross. And together we'll pray over them today. Uh, and then within two weeks, somebody from this ministry will contact you and give you some more information about how you might become involved. So I invite you to fill those out at this time. Alan's going to play for us for a little while. And uh, in just a moment, the ushers will come forward and release us row by row to return these. Thank you. I w- so let's do that. That's important. <laughs> Holy God. very selfishly for our own sakes. To keep us from living lives of quiet desperation and instead to help us live lives that truly matter in this world. For the sake of those who will come after us and the legacy that this church will leave behind, but most importantly, for the sake of your name and your glory. Help us to answer your call in our lives today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. A thousand people will walk these aisles today. A thousand people who have felt and heard the call of God on on their lives, who know that our lives are, are not just about making ourselves happy and that ridiculous fleeting goal. God has given us life for a purpose. The living God called you and me to change the world. And in this holy moment, I just, I want to take a a second and I want to pray over these tokens of our call and, and most importantly, the people here who are answering God's call. Maybe some of us for the first time in our lives. So would you pray with me once more? God, we remember the story of a bush that was ablaze but not consumed. And how you spoke with a voice that created the worlds and you called a man named Moses to set your people free. Remember a mother-in-law named Naomi who was preparing to go back and die until her daughter-in-law Ruth said, where you go, I will go. You think about John the Baptist and Paul, Peter, the Prince of Apostles. We've heard about these women and men. Some of us, since before we could speak, we have heard the stories. Never imagining that that same great God would call us to do great things too. 
So Holy Spirit, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the way that you have not simply given us life or a mere pulse. You've given us purpose. A reason to get up every day to toil and work hard so that one day, like Paul, we can fight the good fight and finish our race. And when we receive the crown, we can cast it along with all the glory back at the feet of the one, the one true God who gave us life and meaning. We give you thanks, O God, for the call you've placed on all of our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, always for the sake of his kingdom. Amen.